First Kings 19, I'm beginning verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. I bet some of you are saying, man, that's a great ministry of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Rise, eat, take a nap, rise, eat, you know. Okay, this next part you might not like, though. And he went in that strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, uh, the Mount of God. Verse 9, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him again. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the, God, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life too, to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind, tore the mountains and broke, uh, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. They seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel, the king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Father, I thank you for, uh, for recording in your Bible the lives of real people with real struggles and real disappointments. And Father, thank you that you have, have given us a, kind of a road map of how to deal with those things. And Lord, I, I pray that you would deal with us as you did with Elijah. God, when, when we swing from, from joy to despair or from confidence to hopelessness, from being happy in the Lord to being doubtful, from faith to, to unbelief. God, I pray that, that our lives would not be based upon our circumstances, upon our struggles, but upon your truth. Father, teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I'm surprised at how quickly often we can change. Uh, and by change, I mean our mood, our, uh, our, our focus, our uh, confidence, our hope. 
Um, I was watching Haven the other the other day, yesterday actually, and uh, the the Biffles, uh, Caitlin Biffle, had I guess outgrown her little Barbie tent, and so now we have this enormous Barbie tent in our in our living room, and uh, so she set it up yesterday, and they were playing in it, and she was having a grand time. She's playing with her sister Avery, and Avery was inside the tent, and uh, they were playing, playing. I don't know what they were doing, but they had pretzels in there and dolls and everything, and and she was just having a grand time. I mean, just just a great time. And I was, I was watching them, and all of a sudden she came to the door, and Avery did something. I don't even remember what Avery did. But I mean, in, in a millisecond, a- Haven let out this scream, okay? Not, not, not a scream like I'm hurt, but a scream like, if I could rip your head off, I'd do it, you know? And, and, I, I, and it just, I mean, I was like, they were just playing, you know? I mean, they were, ha, ha, pass me, you know, you know? And it was that quick, you know? And I just, yeah, you know, I got her and, and I whipped her about as fast, put her in the, in, in the chair, you know. And, but it just amazed me. I thought, how can you go from, you know, man, you're the best sister ever. To, I want to kill you in that fast, you know. And I don't remember exactly what Avery did, but whatever it was, I mean, it, it just, just, she swung that fast, you know. And I think if we'll be honest, sometimes we swing that fast too, don't we? I mean, sometimes we're, we're happy in the Lord, we're joyful in the Lord, we're walking in, in the Lord and in faith, and something happens, and, and for some reason we go from where we ought to be to, to, man, where we really shouldn't be in just almost a millisecond. I mean, just, just that fast. And, and really, that's what we see in, in this passage with Elijah. It's one of the few places that, that we see Elijah in this light. But in, in chapter 19, we see him going from, I mean, a man of God who's doing incredible things to a coward hiding under a tree in just a matter of a moment, okay? And, and I guess why this passage is, is really meaningful to me is because I, I resemble that. And, and I hate that about myself. I mean, I hate that, that that I can go from there to there that quickly. I hate that that, that sometimes my Christian life looks like that kind of that roller coaster. And I, I don't want that. I, I want, what I want is I want to be a stable believer, okay? I think stability is one of, one of the most admirable characteristics in a Christian. And I, and I love it when I see those people. And he's not in here, so I'll brag on him. But Jeff Wales, man. And maybe I, there's things I don't know about Jeff. But Jeff just, I, he just always seems like he's got just, you know, forward speed, you know, and, and just things don't tend to, you know, upset him, rock you. Man, I want to be that. I want to be a guy that perseveres in that way. I want to be a guy that, that faithfully trusts the Lord. I don't want to be the guy in James 1 who's being tossed about by, by every, every wave of life. And so what I want us to do is just kind of go through this passage, just kind of walk through it together. And, and we're going to look at what, what happened with Elijah. How, what, how, why did he swing like that? And what did God do to bring him back? Okay, so the first thing I want us to look at is, is basically Elijah's focus. And, and the way I look at this, and maybe this is a silly illustration, but what's in his windshield? Okay, you know, I mean, you got something in your windshield, don't you? Uh, when you when you came over here, uh, you, I'm not talking about your your physical windshield. You probably say, I got bugs in my windshield, and that's true about our lives sometimes. But I'm talking about what's what's in your focus, okay? What are you looking at? What, what's right in front of you? Because that, that that's meaningful, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times, what we, a lot of times we describe it as what's on your heart. You know, what's heavy. You know, what's this thing that's that, that, that it's all you can see in front of you, okay? And, and to get to get the picture here, let's let's get a little context, all right? So I want to go back into chapter 17, 18, give you a quick review. Here's what's happening in this section of scripture. If you remember, wicked King Ahab has a wife who is more wicked, Queen Jezebel. And what they've done is they've led Israel away from God. And so God punishes Israel with this drought. 
And, and Elijah pronounces this drought, and then Elijah goes and hides. And you remember he hides by the brook Cherith, and then by in, in the, with the widow at Zarephath, and all those stories that you probably learned in Sunday school. And finally, he comes out of hiding at God's word, and, and he challenges the prophets of Baal to a basically a let's see who's God is real contest. Okay, and, and so both of them prepare their sacrifice, and they ask their God to bring fire from heaven. You remember the the prophets of Baal? They slice themselves and dance around all day, and and, and nothing happens. You know, not not a, not 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 even a spark. You know, not even a lightning bug. Nothing at all happens. Their sacrifice just sits there. So Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. And he builds the altar, 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he soaks the thing with water. And then, then he prays to God and fire comes from heaven. Not only does fire destroy the sacrifice, but it licks up all the water in the trench. And basically all of Israel knows whose God is real. Okay. So there's this time of incredible victory on Mount Carmel. And Elijah takes the 450 prophets of Baal and slaughters them by the river. Okay. You know, there's times where we read stuff in, in the scriptures and I don't think it really sees sinks in. Get that picture in your mind. 450 people, 450 guys, 450 prophets of Baal being slaughtered, being chopped up, hacked up by Elijah. Man, that's a, that's a pretty courageous thing, isn't it? And that's a, that's a pretty bold thing. I, I mean, so there's this incredible victory that happens and then that, 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 that happens, and then, and then the rains come. God says, okay, I'm going to send rain. Remember, Elijah goes on top of the hilltop, and he sits up there, and he prays. And he asks his servant, what do you see? Nothing. He prays. What do you see? Nothing. What do you see? Oh, uh, there's a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. You know, and God says, you better start rowing, you know, because the rain is coming. Remember, the rain comes in, you know, washes. There's this, this downpour. The, the famine is, is over. I mean, so, so, so in, one, in one day, you've got all the prophets of, of Baal being slaughtered, all these pagan prophets that have led Israel astray, all being slaughtered, and God brings fire from heaven. All of Israel knows that God is the real God. The famine is over. The rains come. These incredible victories. And then in chapter 19, Elijah gets a message from Jezebel. And basically Jezebel says, look, you're a dead man by tomorrow. You know, we don't have time to, to, to explore this very much, but you know, it's really interesting. People like Jezebel. Um, you remember when Jesus is not Jesus. Uh, let's see who is it? Abraham is talking to, uh, to the rich man who's in hell. And remember the rich man begs him and he says, send, send, my, send, send, send Lazarus to my brothers so that they'll know to repent. And you remember what Abraham says? He says, look, if they, if they won't listen to, to, to Elijah and the prophets, if they won't listen to the word of God, Moses and the prophets, then they, they won't matter for if a dead man raises and comes to talk to them. And that's the same with Jezebel. I mean, here, here fire comes from heaven. 450 prophets of Baal are slaughtered. This woman's heart is no softer than before. Salvation is a spiritual thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it comes from God, you know? And, and, I mean, I guess what I'm amazed at is the hardness of some people's hearts. I mean, there, there are some folks, that, I mean, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if the dead were raised. They're not believing in Jesus, you know? And Jezebel, man, she's one of those people. I mean, all this happens, and her, her response is, I'm going to have your neck. I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, Okay? And that's where we pick up with Elijah, okay? Now, just think about where he's been, okay? He's, on, he's at Mount Carmel, he fire from heaven, you know, taking on everybody against him. He slaughters the 450 prophets of Baal. The famine's over. The rains come. Jezebel gives one message in verse 3. says, then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. Not only does he run for his life, but he, but he runs out. He sits down under a broom tree, and he says, it's enough now, Lord. Take my life. How many quitters we got? Anybody else respond that way? I, you know, and I, I'm ashamed to say, and I, I guess this is what, one of the reasons this passage is kind of meaningful to me. I have that tendency. 
I mean, a lot of times one of my first tendencies when everything kind of falls apart is I just want to quit, you know? I'm just like, okay, God, forget it. I'm done, you know? I'll go farm. I bet I've said I'll go farm a hundred times, you know? And, and, and just felt like, you know, it's, it's over, you know? And I hate that. I hate that about Elijah. I hate that about me. But that's where he's at. And, and so I guess the question is, why, why is he there? That, no, I mean, that's not my question. That's God's question, okay? God ministers to him physically. Bread and, and water, sleep, sends him to Mount Horeb. And then two times he asked him the same question. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in him. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And here's the word of the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? Man, that's, that's an impactful question. It really is, spiritually. You know, because when you find yourself in that spot, when you find yourself wanting to quit in the faith, and want to just, just lay all your cards down and just say, I'm done. I'm done with my Bible. I'm done with prayer. I'm done with trying. You know, when you find yourself in that spot, you know the question that I think God asks, why are you there? Why are, you know, not, not why are you in your living room. Why are you in the spot you are spiritually? Why are you there? And, and the question implies, how did you get there? Okay? Why, what, what brought you to the place where you're at? Why are you in the desert, Elijah? Why, why are you running from Jezebel? Why are you in despair? Why, why is your attitude that you want to die and give up and quit? Why aren't you ministering? Why aren't you where I left you? Why are you sulking in a cave? And, and you know, the interesting thing about Elijah is if God had asked him this question at any other time previously to this recorded in Scripture, there would have been one answer because of God's Word. Let me show you that real quick. It's kind of cool. Chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. Why, why, is, why, is, uh, why is Elijah at the brook Cherith? Well, okay, verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Okay, where's he at next? Well, he's with the widow Zarephath. Why is he there? Look at verse 8 and 9. The word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Okay, uh, how, how about on Mount Carmel? Why is it at Mount Carmel? Chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab. Okay, how about this whole prophets of Baal thing? I mean, why is he doing that? Verse 36 of chapter 18. And at that time, the offering of, uh, of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, let it be known this day that you're God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Okay, why? Those are the passages. Those are the different places that we find Elijah from, from, from his life previously. And every one of them says he is where he is because God told him to be there. Because of the word of the Lord. He's following God's word. Okay. Now, in chapter 19, all of a sudden, he's someplace. He, he's under the broom tree. He's in the cave. He, he, he's despairing of life itself. And he's there for the first time in scripture anyway. Not because God told him to be there. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, Elijah is someplace, not because God said, I want you to go. This is my will. This is my plan. This is my ministry for you. But now all of a sudden, Elijah is there for a different reason. And that reason is because Jezebel threatened him. You know what that tells me? It's just really, and I don't want to be too simplistic, but from this passage anyway, there's two ways to live. Okay? The first way is you live by the word of God. Okay? Jesus said that, didn't he? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Or number two, you live by the circumstances of your life. And depending on which one of those ways you live, that's going to determine a lot of things about your life. How about your joy? You know what? There's two ways to live, okay? And, and, and everybody's going to pick really, really one of these choices, okay? 
You're, you're either going to be joyful because of the word of the Lord. Okay? You're, you're either going to be joyful because God has, has chosen you from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his life because you're adopted in the family of God, because you're forgiven of your sins, because the cross is for you and, and Christ's righteousness is in your account because God has promised you fullness of joy and pleasure forever. You're going to be joyful because of that, okay? And that's going to sustain you. Now, I'm not saying that happy things aren't going to happen. You know, your football team's going to win and, and, and you know, other things are going to add to your joy, okay? The circumstances of life. But fundamentally, you will be happy because of what Christ has done in you or you're going to be the type of person that you're happy depending on what your life looks like okay the circumstances of your life how much money's in the account you know what what broke this week what got fixed this week what kind of relationships you're dealing with and and that way of living is is going to fundamentally lend itself toward chapter 19 where one day you're on top of the mountain and the next you're saying god just kill me now i quit your confidence you know how about your hope you know, how, how hopeful. Man, hope's a powerful thing. You know, how you see the future. You know, is it, is it good? Are you excited about it? Or do you dread it? You know? Well, a lot of that's going to be determined by, by whether or not your life runs on the Word of God or whether it runs on the circumstances of life. Even questions about what you're going to do with your life, you know? Whether or not you're going to serve. Are you going to serve or not? You know? Some people decide that based on God's word. You know, they look at God's word and say, you know what, this is the type of person I, I need to be. How about giving? You know, this is the type of person I need to be. How about mission trip? This type of person, yeah, here's the word of God. Here's what God's word says. Other people decide those things based on the circumstances of life. And you know how that goes, don't you? Sometimes you're raring to go, you're here, use me, whatever. Other times, not at all. I, I mean, it's, it's really the difference between stability and, and a roller coaster ride in, in your Christian life. Folks, your circumstances will always change. You know, I, I mean, that's just something that everything changes, doesn't it? Everything changes. People change. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, I mean, I mean, just even our, the fundamental relationships that we have, they change. You know, my daughter turned 17 today. And, and I'm just, man, I see. And sometimes it's just hard for me that my relationship with her is changing constantly. You know, I mean, it's not what it used to be. It's just I can't I can't relate. We, we're not we're not we're not. We're not what we were, you know, 15 years ago when I'd come home from, from mowing at the seminary and we'd play at the playground every day, you know? Things have really changed. And everything changes. We've got to count on that. So most time, Elijah's confident. Man, most time he's, he's courageous. He, he's, he's living out. I mean, he's one against 450. That, that doesn't bother him. But Elijah experiences this, this jolt. And this is what's interesting to me. I've called it a jolt. You've heard me call it that before. And I don't know what else to call it. But, but, it, but he experiences this, this whammy in his life that just, just turns him upside down. And, and I, I really don't have an answer for why. I mean, that's one of the things that troubles me about this passage. I, I would love to have like a commentary on kind of why, why this, you know. Because here's the fact. Was this news to him that Jezebel wanted to kill him? Man, Jezebel's wanted to kill him for a long time. Why is he hiding at the brick Cherith? Because Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill him, you know? Uh, you remember that story? I can't remember the, 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 the prophet, the guy that saves the, the, the hundred prophets. And uh, Elijah appears to him and says, hey, go get your master. And he's like, why are you going to kill me? You know, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to bring him and you're going to disappear. And then I, my head's going to be on the chopping block, you know? And, and he says, don't you know? I just remember this, this part. He says, don't you know that he searched everywhere for you trying to kill you? I mean, this has been going on forever, you know? I mean, this is nothing new. So why all of a sudden now? I don't know. 
And isn't that the way life is sometimes? You know, I mean, you'll, ha- you'll have a financial crisis, you're fine. Financial crisis, you're fine. Financial crisis, you're hoping in the Lord. Financial crisis, you're trusting in Jesus. Financial crisis, you fall completely apart. You know, what, why that time and not the others? I, and I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. I mean, I don't know. Why, why do some things hit us and roll us while others don't? And, and, and I don't know. It's, it probably has a lot to do with where we're at in our life. Probably has a lot to do with where our focus is. Probably has a lot to do with, with kind of where we're at in our spiritual life, where we're at in our relationships. I, I'm sure all of those things kind of factor in, even probably some physical things in our life. I, I mean, it could have been Elijah's just plumb exhausted, you know, after Mount Carmel. I mean, that's real. I mean, he just could have been just completely physically and emotionally wiped out. And it's just like one more thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why this, but I do know that those things are real in our lives and and, and whenever whenever they drop us the thing we got to realize is whenever our focus shifts whenever the windshield in our life god's not in it but our circumstances what we got to realize is that we're not walking by faith anymore we're walking by sight 10 corinthians 5 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight and folks when we begin to make decisions and react and respond and and decide what our mood will be based on what we see and feel in the circumstances of our life, folks, we'll be on that roller coaster. And there's nothing supernatural about that. You know, Peter is a great little little microcosm of, of this whole principle, okay? Because in, in one little story, we find all these elements, don't we? You know, Peter's in the boat. There's a storm. They all think they're going to die. They see somebody walking on the water. It's Jesus. Remember, remember, why does Peter ever get out of the boat in the first place? What's the only reason? Because it doesn't make any sense in the world to get out of the boat. You know, if you're, if you're about to go down and, and you're afraid of drowning, you don't jump out. You, you stay in, right? Why does he get out of the boat? The only reason he gets out of the boat is because Jesus says, come. Jesus' word, okay? But then you remember what happened? All of a sudden, Jesus is not in the windshield anymore. The scripture says he looks around and he sees the wind and the waves. His focus changes. What happens? He sinks, you know? I mean, mean, it's exactly what what we see happening here. Second thing that happens whenever your focus shifts from your circumstances or from God to your circumstances, you really lose confidence. Man, chapter 17 and 18, man, Elijah is not afraid of anybody. He's not afraid of any odds at all. In fact, he's cocky. Do you remember the story of, of him on Mount Carmel? You know, the prophets of Baal, they're, they're dancing, you know, cutting themselves, doing all that stuff. And what's Elijah doing? Is he over there trembling saying, man, I hope this thing really works out? You know, he's mocking them, you know. It's one of my favorite, you know. It's, it's cool because it's, it's almost spiritual to mock in certain situations. And doesn't that, doesn't that make you feel better, you know? Uh, I mean, he's just mocking them, you know. Is he in the bath? Maybe Baal's in the bathroom. Maybe he went on vacation. I mean, he is so confident. But when, he, when his focus shifts, he's scared to death of Jezebel. He's not looking at God's character. He's not looking at God's faithfulness to him. He's not looking at God's power. He's not looking at God's grace. Man, think of all the things God had done. He provided by birds for him at the, at the, at the brook Cherith. You know, the widow. The widow, he, the widow, and, and the widow's son lived for what? Months. On, on a little pinch of flour and a little oil. I mean, I mean, God had been so faithful. But all of a sudden, he's not looking at any of that. All he's looking at is Jezebel. Folks, those same situations are going to hit our lives. You know, I, I think the worst thing that happens here is that, that when you turn your focus from God to your circumstances, you succumb to, to two things that are really one thing, pride and self-pity. Look at verse 10. He said, 
this is the answer to, his answer to the question, what are you doing here? And he does it twice, actually. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life too to take it away. When God asked him, where are you? What, what's his answer to that? His answer is completely about him, right? This is what I did. This is how I'm better than all the other Israelites. This is what I'm facing. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one faithful to you. And now they want to kill me too. My life is in danger. Okay? His entire answer to where, why he is where he is is wrapped around him. Okay? And I tell you, when, when, we, change, when we change our focus to our circumstances, that's going to that's gonna lead to that. It's, it's about us all of a sudden. And we are in our windshield, okay? And, and all of a sudden, it's all about us. It's either about pride, you know, which is really self-focused, right? Because he's saying, look, all of Israel has denied you and I'm the only one that's left. Or, or it's about self-pity, which is another form of pride. Woe is me. I've got it so terrible. You know, they're trying to kill me, which he just said he was wanted to die. So I don't see what the big deal is. But anyway, um, it's self-pity, isn't it? That's all it is, is self-pity. And at its root, you know what self-pity is? Self-pity is making us really big and making God really small. I mean, it's the opposite of what should be happening in Elijah's life. So what's the answer? Well, let's talk about that real quick. We'll be done. What's the answer? Well, you know, you would think God would, would say, well, here's what I'm going to do to Jezebel. By the way, that's a great story. You know what happens to Jezebel? <laughs> it's one of my kids' favorite. I don't know. The, the more gory and gruesome, the better my kids like the story, you know? Remember what happens to her? Jehu rides up, you know? Jehu, man, he's, he's, he's the Rambo of the Old Testament. I mean, he, he is really, he's, he's a fierce, okay? He rides up, you know, she paints her eyes. She gets all dolled up, puts on her new, her new dress, you know, comes out to the window, bats her eyes. You know, Jehu says, one of you guys are on my side, you know. A couple of the Ethiopian eunuchs raise their hand. Or, I th- yeah, I think they were eunuchs. Yeah, they were, anyway, they raise their hand, just throw her out, you know. They throw her out, and then they run over with the horses, and then they go eat supper, and they go out inside the outer barrier, and all that's left are her hands and her skull, you know? Now, you would think that maybe a good thing for God to do here, to kind of encourage Elijah, would be to tell him what's going to happen to Jezebel. He doesn't do that. The interesting thing is, he never even mentions Jezebel. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Who thinks that? Isn't that interesting? He never even mentions Jezebel, okay? What, what, all he does is basically reveals himself to Elijah. Okay, you, 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 got, you got the attention getters. I think that's all these are. Okay, you got wind that's ripping apart the rocks in the mountains. You, you, you got fire. You got an earthquake. Okay, you got all these, these incredible, you know, fierce, natural things that are happening. And then you have this still, small voice that speaks to Elijah. Now, what that tells me is that when we're in that spot, what we really need, and this is hard for us because what we think we need is answers to our problems, right? Circumstances. We think, I need this fix, God, in my life. If I'm going to be right, you've got to fix this. You've got to fix my money thing. You've got to fix my job thing. You've got to fix my relationship thing. You've got to fix my family thing. You know, sometimes God just says, what you really need is you just need to see me again. So he tells him, you know, hey, watch. Get in the cave, first of all. And then he rips apart the mountain. <laughs> he brings fire. Brings an earthquake, and then he speaks. And he reveals himself to Elijah. Folks, what, what we really need is to see God. Now, I, I sure like when my life runs smoothly, but that's really not the big thing. 
the big thing is that we are seeing who God is. We're seeing God's character. We're seeing God's power. We're seeing God's care for us. So, so God reveals himself. And then, then I love this too. Verse 15. Here, here's the thing that, that God tells him. Okay? God rips apart you know, all that, does all that. And then, then he asks him, what are you doing here? Elijah answers the same thing. God never says anything else but this. Verse 15. Go. Return on your way to the wilderness to Damascus. When you arrive, and he gives him three jobs. Isn't that interesting? This guy's, this guy's despairing. He wants to kill. He wants to die. He wants to quit. What does God do? God shows him a little bit of himself, and then says, "Get back to work, dude." It's consistent with Isaiah fifty-eight. Isaiah fifty-eight, I think, is one of the greatest uh, passages about despair in the Bible. And basically, what it says is, when you give yourself for the hungry, and when you start ministering to the needy. Your joy is going to return. That's fascinating to me, you know, because basically God says, you know, what, the answer, the answer to your deal here is you need to, number one, see me. And you, number two, you need to get back in my will and get to work. That's a good word, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray that we would be stable. God, that we would we would not be tossed to and fro. God, I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want to be up, up one day, down the other. God, I hate living that way. And, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us. God, you'd reveal your bigness, your glory, your power, your, your future. God, your, your cross. God, that that would be the thing that's in our windshield. That would be the thing that we're looking at. That would be the thing we're focusing on. And God, I just pray that, that we would live by the word of God and not by all the stuff that, that, that hits our life. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.